1: Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast.
2: Coming at you on an important day. I'm recording this uh, on Sunday, obviously, the day before um, the day that I am referring to. But as you are listening to this, it is the start of another New York Knicks basketball season. Uh I was just thinking
1: about it um before I before I started recording and I was like 2023-24 season. Um and it didn't even occur to me last year not once did it occur to me last year
2: but this is my 30th anniversary as a Knicks fan. I've I've talked about it uh
1: here and there but like i i followed the the team barely in 92 93 i went to my first game in 92 93 oddly enough it was a playoff game um that i don't have much memory of other than that uh, i got to eat a hot dog in madison square garden which was a lot of fun um but yeah 93 94 was the year that i really came into this thing for real and uh yeah it's been quite a 30 years since definitely Um, you know, it's been in stages, and I am uh
2: thankful, very thankful that I've been a Nick fan this entire time. Not only because it's given me the opportunity
1: to do this, which I love, but I I mean this with all the sincerity in the world. It is, I think, the most character building thing aspect of my life thus thus far, the singular character building aspect. Whatever character I have, I attribute most of that, other than, you know, getting it from my from my mom, I attribute it to uh being a being a Knicks fan. Um because if you if you if you make it through I mean if you make it through one year being a Knicks fan, let alone 30, uh you definitely gotta have some something to you. Um so yeah, uh, 30 years for me. Uh and it is gonna be year what is this year seventy eight for the Knicks, right, because they've been around since the beginning, and it's the 78th year for the National Basketball Association. So long time, and uh, yeah, I wanted to to do something a little different to to kick off this this day. Um, so not gonna be joined by anyone. This is, you just got me for this episode, and there's a reason for that. I'll get to it in a second. Um, but first, Andrew would be very mad if I don't do this first. Shameless plug. I guess it's not a shameless plug. It's just, it's just a plug, um, that, uh, we're going live tonight on Monday, um, 7 PM on the Knicks film school YouTube channel. Uh, it's going to be not, I don't think it'll be an emergency live stream, although who knows we, we'll, we'll see what gets said, uh, you know, over the course of uh, the the day's festivities, uh, but no, just a live stream. Um, give everybody a chance to ask any questions they have. I will, of course, comment on. I don't know if I should be calling it Media Day. I don't know that I should be calling it Content Day. Last year it was Content Day, but they also had media there, and obviously. Tibbs and a bunch of the players there to, you know, answer questions. But it, it was only the Knicks, man. Only the Knicks. It's like they did this big song and dance with I, and Monica McNutt killed it. She was like kind of the host of the thing. But like they did this big song and dance and they called it content day. But they still had to do the media day obligations. Like they still had to, like you're you're mandated by the league on media day to have reporters there to have the beat there and to produce a certain number of of players in addition to your coach. So they like did the thing, but they kind of tried to bury that, bury that under the umbrella blanket, whatever of, of this content day thing. And it was just like kind of funny because like, you know, whatever that I'm sure some people listening to this enjoyed the content day um, festivities and whatever, but it was like, you know, it was a bunch of fluff um, and not that we got a whole lot of anything out of the media sessions. But, you know, reporters are going to ask questions that um, uh, someone who is paid by the company that or paid by the network that owns the team like it's not. Uh, so all this is to say, I am sure there will be reporters present today to ask Tom Thibodeau and some other Knicks. Uh, personnel some questions. I'm also certain uh, Leon Rose will not be one of those Knicks personnel answering questions. And whether the Knicks do another uh you know thing that they will televise or stream, I guess, as it were. Although if I recall from last year, the stream didn't go so well. Um so yeah, whether they do that or not, I frankly have no idea. We have nobody's been told anything about it, or if people have been told, um, I certainly have not caught wind of it. Um anyway. Seven o'clock live stream Monday. Uh, be there or be square. Second on the docket, some NBA news on Sunday morning or early afternoon. I forget exactly what it was. Uh, Drew Holiday, someone who uh, Ian Bagley reported on Friday that the Knicks were at least looking at. Um, they were they were you know doing their doing their due diligence on, shall we say? Uh, got traded to the Boston Celtics. I think, uh, and if you were a careful Twitter observer, again, what's the first rule of, of following NBA news or Knicks news? At least, uh, Ian Bagley always knows more than he says. And I noticed someone asked him a follow-up question to his initial uh, article that he posted on Friday about, like, does he thinks the Knicks? Does, does he think the Knicks are really in it, or does you know where does he think Holiday ends
2: up? Something like that. And he said very clearly, uh, Boston or Clippers would be his guesses. Now, I. Ian probably
1: had a little little bit more uh than he that he knew at the time than he was willing to say because sure enough it's Boston. And Boston has in fairness, Boston has been the team over the course of the weekend that had been rumored to be negotiating, that it was rumored that the the you know, the trailblazers were really trying to take it to as far as what they were getting. And they got um I th- would define as a pretty nice return. Um, so the, the package is, uh, 2024, uh, I, uh, it's a protected pick of some kind. It's, it's not the Celtics own pick. It's the warriors pick 2024 warriors pick. Um, and that definitely has some sort of protections. Uh, maybe not actually, I should, I should look into how deep those protections are, but it's a, whatever it's a, it's a warriors pick. You expect the warriors are gonna be pretty good. Uh, so that pick Robert Williams, time Lord, uh, incredibly talented center. A guy who, at times during the Celtics uh, finals run two years ago, looked like he was not the most important player in the series, but like a, a vital player uh, to the Celtics and what they were trying to accomplish, um, but also someone who has never been able to stay healthy. And uh, the Celtics were not even, as far as I know at least, were not even penciling into their starting lineup this season. Um, And he's just had a career that has been defined, unfortunately more by injuries than anything else, but, 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 but very talented player still. So now he goes to Portland along with Deandre Aiden from the Dame deal. So it's interesting. They have two centers there. Will they hang on to both? Will they try to flip time Lord? Um, Will they try to play them together? I mean, who the hell knows? Uh, I don't know, but you know, he's a, he's a guy that definitely has value, especially signed to uh, what is still A good contract, Uh, even with his injury issues. The guy's making like mid-level exception money. So good asset there. Um, And Malcolm Brogdon. uh, Brogdon obviously was initially going to be in the Kristaps Porzingis trade. And then concerns over his uh, medicals um, prevented Brogdon from being uh, a a part of that. I want to say Brogdon, it's been a while. So, summer's long. What can I say? I want to say Brogdon was going to be diverted to the Clippers in that original Christoph Porzingis trade, if I'm recalling correctly. Might, I think he was going to be diverted somewhere, but the point is, it didn't end up going through in that, in that, uh, that form of the trade. Yeah, I think it was the Clippers, actually. Um, and then that's how uh, Memphis got involved, and that's how it ended up being Marcus Smart, instead to get Christoph Porzingis to Boston. Um, so Brogdon some health issues obviously but the guy is still the reigning 6 man of the year award winner still a very talented player and the news as of right now is that you know much like they got Drew Holiday to flip Drew Holiday Portland is going to try to flip Malcolm Brogdon for something else because they want to give their young guards a lot of time we'll um we'll see what they could get for him I, I it feels a little Presumptuous to say that they're going to be able to get any kind of a first-round pick for a guy who, again, there seems to be some real health flags here. Um, but they'll get something for him, I'm sure. So they got Brogdon, and then, of course, the big, the big item, the headliner in the trade: a fully unprotected 2029 Boston Celtics first-round pick. Um, 2029 is uh, six years from right now notably so that ginormous contract that jalen brown signed great biggest contract in NBA history that contract will be over by the time um this pick is set to convey uh you know where will he be playing where will jason tatum be playing will Will Kristaps porzingis still be in the league you know we'll see how his knees hold up so in terms of getting a real real golden ticket. I, that's how I always refer to these future unprotected picks, future unprotected swaps. In terms of getting a real golden ticket, Boston accomplished that. And it makes sense, or excuse me, Portland accomplished that. And it makes sense that it was Boston that gave him the golden ticket. And it makes sense in retrospect that Boston was going to be the team that traded for uh, Giraldi. And because you only give up a golden ticket like that unless the piece, unless you think the piece that you're getting in exchange for the golden ticket is going to be good enough to be the difference maker in, let's say, a high level playoff series. And Drew Holiday, for as many faults as he may um, have in recent years in the postseason, he's certainly good enough to make a difference in a high level playoff series. Um. So this is a, I I I don't know. If this is a hot take. It kind of feels like a win-win for me for both teams, but Portland gets the the big-time asset, and they get to take a chance on Time Lord and get you know, and and the twenty-four pick and and whatever they get from Brogdon. But it's really about the that twenty-nine pick. Um, and then Boston gets the guy who they hope will be the counter to what Milwaukee just did, which is trade for um. You know, one of the 75 greatest players of all time, second best offensive guard um, playing in the league right now, It, it, uh, it that sort of ilk, you know, it, it's Steph and then it's him. And then there's then there's a gap. I don't know who you want to put third, at least in terms of that, that archetype guys who could space the floor out to 30 feet, who, you know, is Dame a walking top five offense unto himself? I, you know, you. I know some people feel that way. And and certainly there are numbers that he put up last year that would, that would uh, justify that position. So Milwaukee made their move and Boston made their move. um, And I mean, you want to talk about now must see TV, those, (laughs) those Boston, Milwaukee games, my God. Um, And if those two teams should wind up meeting in the Eastern conference finals, I'm like, what would the odds be on that right now? A Boston, Milwaukee, Eastern conference finals. Would those be like,
2: is that like two to one or is that are those two? No, it, it's three to one, two to one, something like that. Um, for I, It can't,
1: it can't go much higher than three to one, right? Like three to one, you're betting, you're betting that uh, if, I mean, and, but because it would, one of those teams would need to fall to fourth in the standings for them to, you know, for those two teams to meet in the second round. Um, so will that happen? I I doubt it. Or, of course, just one of those teams loses before they get to the the Eastern Conference Finals. But, like, I don't know. If you gave me four to one, I would not think twice about betting on a Boston-Milwaukee Eastern Conference Finals for sure. Um, That isn't to say that there is not risk, and now I'm going to start to transition to the Knicks. Obviously, there's risk. There's risk on both sides. There's risk that Milwaukee damaged their bread and butter over the last several years, which has not been offense, it's been defense, um, that it it, it it took the one surefire thing that they had, that they could rely on night in, night out, playoff series in, playoff series out, and basically gave it away, and now is counting on the other side of the ball, making up the difference. Will it work? We'll see. Boston, now not only counting on Christoph Porzingis to hold up, because they just traded away in Robert Williams. I, you know It's weird to call a guy who's been injured as much as Time Lord has been injured like injury insurance for the guy ahead of him, but he kind of was like, you figured between Robert Williams and Christoph Sporzingis and yes, of course, 37 year old Al Harford, like there was always going to be one healthy center, one healthy big man between the three of those guys. Now you've shipped one of them out. Now that proposition gets a little diceier. Um, to say nothing of the fact that they are a little small. And the fact that they have been a little small over the years in the playoffs has hurt them at times. Boston, they just got a lot, a little smaller because you know who their one through four is going to be in crunch time. It's going to be white holiday, uh, Brown and Tatum. Like ideally you'd like one, one guy who's a little bit bigger than Tatum and like, I well, a Grant Williams type, but apparently they soured on him. So like th- there's absolutely. And t- again, Drew holiday, 33 years old. We talked about it. You know, we, or at least I talked about it a little bit last week um, on the on the Patreon pod and uh, in the town hall. Shout out to all of our patrons. Uh, but like, yeah, there's, absolutely, there's risk. Absolutely, there's risk on both sides. But when you're a team like Milwaukee, and obviously they're dealing with a very unique Giannis situation. But even when you're a team like Boston, when you have a chance to win it all, and Boston already, even before this trade, I think had a chance to win it all. But, you you know, they were probably looking up and be like, well, did Milwaukee just pass, to, pass us? You know, Denver, are they pass? Uh, you know, did they pass us? I mean, you, they're the defending champions. I'm, you could easily say that they did. Um, you know, Boston wasn't even good enough to beat Miami last year. Now, Miami got a little bit worse. Um, you know, but you could talk about maybe one or two other teams in the West. And all of a sudden, Boston's looking around and be like, oh, my God, we were supposed to dominate this era. And we're gonna what are we gonna have? We're we gonna have one finals appearance to show for it. So to me, you know, you may think that Boston overpaid for again a 33-year-old guard who's about to get paid a ton of money and Boston is if they didn't already do so, they have signed their their second apron ticket uh, in 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 blood today with this trade because they're they're gonna try to obviously and they're gonna try to work out an extension with Drew Holiday. Like he's gonna be there for the duration. Whether you think they overpaid, I mean, they improved their title odds this year, and when you have a real chance to win a title, and you could improve your odds even by 10 percent, you know, 15 percent? maybe that's a little bit much, but if you can improve your odds more than five percent, right? Is that enough to give away a, a, a unprotected first pair on pick six years into the future? Do you need it to be 10 percent? Like whatever their calculation is, I stand with it. I I think it's a fair guess. And so now you have these two teams and I'm only going to focus on the East today because that's the conference. The Knicks are in the West has their own kind of thing going on. West is really, I mean, you could make arguments for a lot of teams out West, but I think Denver is still cream of the crop, but just focusing on the East, So you have these two powerhouses, these two behemoths who went, I, they just they went all in. Now the thing with Boston, notably, and this is why I really like this trade, they can still put together a massive package. Let's say this year goes terribly for them. Let's say Kristaps Porzingis gets injured. Let's say Drew Holiday gets injured. Let's just say the year goes bad. They could turn around and flip one of those big contracts. Porzingis, Holiday, even you know, let's for argument's sake, let's say Brown or whatever, um, with still I think three firsts and two swaps or two firsts and three swaps, whatever. They're not distant. One's right because they already gave away. They're out there twenty twenty eight, and now they're out there twenty twenty nine. But I'm pretty sure they could still do something with the with the thirty, and then come next um, next summer, they'll be able to do something with the twenty thirty one pick. So, like, they still have a decent amount of wiggle room. Boston does to make one more move if they need be. So that's a really scary proposition. Um, anyway, I'm I digress. So, you clearly have these teams that are going for it. In every way, shape, and form, they cannot be going for it more than they have gone for it. And they are going to be there and they are going to be powers to be reckoned with over the course of the next two years in the Eastern Conference, Boston, Milwaukee. And then you have Philly, who is going through some stuff right now, and their media day promises to be an interesting state of affairs. You know, and then everybody else falls in line for that. Cleveland, what's going to happen with Donovan Mitchell? Miami, did they miss their chance one too many times? And in that next
0: grouping is the Knicks. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
3: you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Now, I've been thinking a lot about this next season, this
2: upcoming next season, because I do feel like even in as much as it seems like, well, how many
1: different personalities can a basketball season take on, right? You're either a crappy team and you're going for a draft pick. You're a mediocre team and you're too good to get a good draft pick, but you're also not good enough to win a championship or you're in the hunt for a championship. It really does seem like
2: basketball seasons all have their own unique personality. And I it's funny because... I say that,
1: and yet it seems like this should have been a season, th- th-
2: as I'm going to describe it in a minute, that we've seen before from the Knicks, which is, as far as I could see, a year in which they just need to stay
1: on the treadmill. And yes, I'm using that term purposefully. There was, you probably remember, there was an article. It came out, I think, for the ringer. Maybe it was actually Grantland.
2: I don't know. It was one of Bill Simmons' websites that talked about the treadmill of mediocrity, right, in the NBA and how certainty is like, if you're not tanking and you're not a contender, you're just kind of spinning new wheels. The Knicks are not a contender. And I know there are some
1: folks out there who would disagree with that. I don't need to say their names. They they know who they are. Um, but the Knicks are you know, barring something crazy, like truly insane. They're they're not gonna win the championship this year. I would also suggest say that barring something completely crazy, they are not going to be in the hunt for a high lottery pick this year. Right? they're they are I mean, you want to talk about a team that is just solid across the board, up and down. Um, not Without downside, there's there's some downside risk, and we'll we'll talk about that over the, the the coming weeks. But like, solid, they're just solid. You know, they they are deep. You know, I'm 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 writing a whole thing for the newsletter for for the start of training camp. Like
2: four through nine, let's say, even four through ten, you want to throw a deuce in there. Um, who's stronger than the Knicks?
1: Rotation spots four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm not talking about one, two, three, like because everybody has different de- definitions of depth. You know, you could say the Nuggets, who have like six surefire NBA players right now, you could call them the deepest team in the league because you could say hell with Jokic, all they need to go is 60, right? Um, but like I'm specific. That's why I want to really focus it. Like four
2: through nine, who's deeper than the Knicks? Or four through ten again, you want to put Deuce in. I would argue nobody, so they have that they have that backbone where they're gonna be good, barring again major
1: injury or like something really going funky haywire like something on the margins like real
2: or on the either end of the the bell curve um but they're not contenders, and that means. For this season at least, um, they are still playing a a, a a a season out in which their focus is not on this June.
1: And that's why for as much as the Drew Holiday trade like Initially bothered me a little bit, mostly because I was thinking about all of the, you know, pearl clutching Knicks fans who, like, God forbid we ever, ever part with, um, you know, any young player on this team, let alone for a a 33 year old card. Um, Now, in fairness, those folks, I think, are right in this unique circumstance for this reason. If it took one of the Knicks young players and a very, very distant, unprotected first round pick, that would have been too much to give up for Drew Holiday um so take a bow if that was your stance because if that's what it was if it was just a young player and not a distant first that would be have been a slightly different conversation but this is what it took to get you holiday they did not make that
2: move um and you know it, it 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 is confirmation of what this season is and of what this season
1: is not and The treadmill that they are on, the
2: reason I say they just need to stay on it is they are going to have their opportunity. And
1: the other reason why I can't be all that mad at the Drew Holiday, how it turned out, the Drew Holiday trade, is because, yes, he went to a division rival. He did not go to the division rival. That would have meant real problems
2: for the Knicks. Forget about the season. Again, season doesn't really matter. But moving past that, and that's Philadelphia.
1: Because if they figured out a way to flip James Harden and get Drew Holiday, well, then, then this summer would have actually been potentially a disaster for the Knicks. Because they would have seen Giannis get teamed up with a guard that he very much wants, it seems like, to play with. And will he... Will he request a trade? Was it? I doubt he's going anywhere for the next two years, right? Um, and then you would have seen Joel Embiid get
2: a, a running mate in Drew Holiday, which again, were would it have only appeased him for a few years? Maybe, but the Knicks have set themselves up to make their move next summer. They are not in the luxury
1: tax this year. They are set up to go into the luxury tax next season, the 24-25 season. Um, you're looking at Emmanuel Quickley's extension. You're looking at potentially new contracts for Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. You could they could sign Quentin Grimes to an extension a year from now. For salary cap, financial-based reasons. Next summer is the summer. They cannot continue. To keep kicking the can down the road eternally and expect that, you know, oh, something good will happen eventually like we know they've set themselves up to make the trade next summer. That is the summer. And dare I say this might be too presumptuous. Dare I say next summer has always been the summer that
2: Leon Rose has circled. I sat down before and I kind of went through his and we've done this, but really just like 10,000 foot view. Went through Leon Rose's tenure
1: as a Knicks executive. And I'm going to rattle this off real quick. I'm going to make my point afterwards. So hires Tom Thibodeau, drafts Obi Toppin, signs Three veterans, Burks, Noel, Austin Rivers, actually traded for Austin Rivers, but it was a sign of trade. Um, resigns T- Tosh Gibson. Doesn't trade Julius Randle when he starts having a great year. Trades for 30, what was he, 33
2: year old Derek Rose. Um, next summer after that, brings back Burks, Noel, Rose, signs Kemba, and Evan Fournier.
1: Um, there's the whole Cam Reddish thing in the midst of that, in which he trades uh, first. That he it was not going to be used on a player that they felt that at the time they had a rotation spot for trades it for a distant first and then flips that distant first into Cam Reddish. I'll get back to that one in a second. Obviously, that leads to the following summer. Jalen Brunson gets signed. Trades the 11th pick for three future firsts. Trades for Josh Hart. Signs Dante Divincenzo. And then in the midst of all that,
2: drafts Emmanuel quickly, Quentin Grimes, and Deuce McBride. What do all of these moves have in common. They are about as safe a collection of transactions as you could
1: imagine, given that Leon Rose has crossed the three and a half
2: year mark of his tenure as executive of the Knicks. He's been here for he is five months short
1: of his four-year anniversary, March 2nd, uh, 2024, will be four years. If he makes it past this season and he essentially executes New York's summer next July, he will be the longest-tenured Knicks front office executive um, since the 90s. So it's going to be a pretty significant accomplishment. I think he gets there. So
2: when you look at the fact that he's been here for that long, and then you ask yourself like what's the riskiest move he's made? Right? I I mean you I guess you could say signing Evan Fournier to what is I mean but it, that was essentially a
1: 3-year deal and he looked at the landscape, he knew the Knicks were not going to have cap room the following summer and which then gets us to this past summer which is where they've like tried to make efforts to tr- sign him for it. You could argue he knew he wasn't like, he was never going to have cap space again. So he's like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. We'll give this guy the three guaranteed years. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Worst case scenario, he's going to be a trade candidate, trade asset when he's an expiring contract. We'll see if that comes to fruition. Um,
2: but so was that the riskiest thing? Like I, I don't think that was all that risky. Everything else, like j- trading for Josh Hart, okay, he
1: traded the 2024 first round pick, which and the team was already we, we knew what that pick was going to be. At at absolute worst, he was giving up a pick in the mid to late teens, and ended up being a pick in the in the mid twenties.
2: Was that risky? It wasn't risky. So the risk factor on these moves, very, very, very small
1: in totality. And yet you look at all of them and it's many of his moves have been characterized, which is is pretty wild to say that none of these moves are risky. And yet so often they're characterized as win-now moves. And yes, a lot of them are win-now moves,
2: but not in the traditional win-now sense. You know what's a win-now move? Trading for Drew Holiday is a win-now move, right? Because if he traded for Drew Holiday, and kept Drew Holiday from Boston. All of
1: a sudden, now he could Leon Rose could look himself in the mirror and be like, "Damn, I've given my team a real shot at the Eastern Conference Finals this year." You know, and who knows? Maybe we're a maybe we're a Dame Lillard or a Giannis and ankle tweak away from we're back in the finals for the first time in in a quarter of a century. Like he could have traded for Drew Holiday and absolutely made that argument.
2: Miami got worse philly's going through it um you know boston didn't get your holiday we did
1: causing this health question mark right like they're maybe a little bit thinner it's really just milwaukee who's like definitely on paper better than us and as i just said before they're kind of remaking their image the, the image of their team in a way because they went defense for
2: offense so like leon rose could have absolutely done that the fact that he didn't Because again, what was the key piece in
1: the Drew Holiday trade? It was a distant first, a distant first that Boston is in a position to trade away because of where they're at. But the moment the Knicks
2: trade away a distant first round pick, all of a sudden that takes their big trade package and it weakens it considerably. How considerably? We don't even need to put a number on it because considerably enough that it
1: wouldn't be enough to get the guy that they're trying to get with that massive trade package. That's a win now
2: move. What Leon Rose has done since day one of his tenure, everything has been to ensure competence, A, and B, to make their... I'm not even going to say make their asset portfolio
1: better because it's not just that. It's almost as if he has tried to skirt the line between increasing their asset base, but also making them so as I'll use that word again, steady
2: or, or stable or strong, whatever whatever adjective you want to use, sturdy up the middle, that we he knows he'll be able to make a big trade, and there's
1: going to be more than enough here. Like do sweet pride. People love Deuce McBride. Why? Because every time Deuce McBride checks into a game, you're like, that guy needs to be playing NBA rotation minutes. As it stands, he's not going to have a rotation spot this year, but that dude's an NBA player. Will we be thankful that we have Deuce McBride? And will he get more opportunities to um, do something as an NBA player? Uh, Potentially after next summer, obviously they need to resign him, but like a move like that, getting a guy like that. And like, again, we got, there's RJ, there's Quentin Grimes, there's Emmanuel quickly. I know these, these players are not identical to one another, but they are all, love them or hate them, solid NBA rotation pieces. Maybe, God willing, maybe a little bit more than that. And that's something else that Leon Rose is, is hoping is the case. But like steady as she goes, Alec Burks, steady as she goes, you know, Reggie Bullock didn't trade away Reggie Bullock, steady as she goes. And then you look at some of the other moves. Obviously, Tom Thibodeau, who's the biggest floor raiser in the NBA as an NBA head coach? Tom Thibodeau. Julius Randle, get started. All NBA campaign, first season, here with the Knicks. Does Leon Rose trade him away?
2: Absolutely not. Because he wanted the confidence to be continue to be high. And all of those other moves, trading
1: for Derrick Rose, bringing back all of the guys a second year on contracts that a lot of people didn't love you know making the play for Kemba making the play for Evan Fournier drafting the types of guys that he drafted and then when he could when he when he had an opportunity to not weaken the present but also potentially make the future
2: better like the 11th pick for 3 future firsts he'll make that move too but everything for the most part has been trying to raise the water level and
1: Just making sure this team, and it didn't work two years ago, it fell flat on its face two years ago with Kemba and and Evan Fournier, and it almost blew up in his face. Um, But all of his efforts have been geared towards, let's keep getting better and better and better and better without me ever needing to dive into the deep end of the pool. And you could say, well, Drew Holiday wouldn't have been the deep end because it's only one pick and, you know one of the young players and Evan Fournier salary or whatever, it would have been deep enough. He hasn't gone past the, forget the shallow end of the pool. He's still on the steps. He's still clinging on to the, the handrail where you, where you get into the pool. He's never veered out further than that in any move that he's made, all due respect to $71 million or $72 million to Evan Fournier. So skirting along, towing the line, walking the tightrope, any analogy you want to use. That's been his MO for three and a half years. And if that was not crystal clear already, it was eminently clear and obvious by the fact that he, again, could the Knicks have beat out this package for Drew Holiday in a fucking heartbeat? They could have beaten this out here. Take an unprotected future first from us a team that's not nearly as good as Boston and fu- the future as of right now is murkier, and we'll throw in an unprotected swap the following year. Portland would have
2: jumped up and down to get that, along with maybe a, a, one of the protected first-round picks. It didn't do that. He didn't do that, and it was not only proof of the MO and what the, what the goal and what
1: the, what the ultimate prize has always been for Leon Rose, it's proof that again, this season, they know that there was nothing that they were gonna do this summer. They know they don't along that there was nothing that they were gonna do this summer that was gonna get them legitimately, legitimately into the conversation of we can win a title. How many teams are legitimately in that conversation? I don't know. You wanna say five, you wanna say six, you wanna say seven. There are probably about five, six teams in the West alone that could talk themselves into it.
2: Um but it was just more restraint, and a lot of people, a lot of Knicks
1: fans, are are cheering that restraint because, again, the notion to them of trading away whether it was an RJ Barrett or Emmanuel Quickly or Quentin Grimes, I it was it would have been Barrett because they just that financially, that's the only way this would have worked. But a lot of Knicks fans are cheering because they they didn't trade away, you know, again Barrett or another young please piece for for Drew Holiday, who's thirty three years old. The irony in that is that a lot of those folks are cheering because they love seeing this team continue to keep the kids and keep bringing along the young players and and the whole thing. When the reality is the only reason all these guys are still here and why they'll be here through this year, along with all of these picks, is because the trade hasn't come yet that Leon Rose feels comfortable enough including them in for. And he came close last summer with Donovan Mitchell, yes, but he had a line, and that line was very purposefully drawn. Did not want to go over that line, because if he went over that line, he knew he wasn't going to have enough left over for the next guy. Now, was again, was there a miscalculation involved there? I would say so. If he was going to ship off Emmanuel quickly... Haphazardly, in addition to RJ Barrett and the picks they were going to send off, which, if you believe the reporting, that was what was going to happen, he would have been selling really low on Emmanuel quickly
2: because now Emmanuel quickly is a much better asset. So he got a little lucky there. Um, and you could argue he's gotten lucky a few times, but it doesn't change what his thinking is. It doesn't change what his thinking
1: has been all along. So again, it brings me back to what is this season for the Knicks? What is the point? What is their goal? If their goal isn't to win at all, and if their goal isn't to tank for a draft pick and they're, and they're stuck in between, it's very simple. Stay on the treadmill. If you could speed it up by a couple of tenths of a mile and start getting a little faster, all the better, but you can't start slowing down and you really can't fe- fall off. Cause they almost fell off two years ago. It was, it was,
2: it was dangerous, um, but just keep on chugging along because the opportunity is going to come. And if they keep on pushing
1: and they keep on the path that they're on. Look, are there are there things at stake? Absolutely. There are things at stake. Jalen Brunson put himself on the map last season as a star, capital S star. Can he follow that up with an equally good campaign or maybe even some a little bit better? The kids that everybody loves, the Barrett's and the Quicklys and the Grimes, and maybe even the Deuces and like, you know, whoever you want to throw in there. Throw them and Mitchell Robinson's still pretty young, right? Can one of them or two of them take a step up? Can even if it's one of them, can one of
2: them take a step forward of such significance that people around the league look and be like, whoa. Now the Knicks have a real asset that they could throw in. Now, now the Knicks have their, you know.
1: Tyrese Maxey, you know someone that Philadelphia. Oh, we we we're, we're not trading Tyrese Maxey, right? Or there, Tyrese Halliburton, who was traded for Demonis Sabonis. Obviously, the Knicks are trying to get someone a little bit better than Sabonis, or like any of these like blue chip prospect level players that aren't of the level of like a. You know, like a like an Anthony Edwards or a Paolo Boncara, where obviously the team is just not ever going to trade them because they're too good. Can can someone can one of the young players take a step up to get into that in between zone? So that's at stake. Um, you know, and then like obviously the better you do, the better it is. Like, if, great if they make the second round of the playoffs, they make the conference final. Awesome, wonderful. But they ju- it needs to be to to borrow a turn from the from the Casuals. They said they start every episode with it. How are the vibes this week? The vibes need to be good. Because if the vibes are good, that means everything around the team is pretty solid. They stayed solid. They did what they needed to do. And next summer, you know, I it boy, it sure looks like Embiid's gonna be the guy that they're gonna have to make the play for because don't look like Giannis is coming on the market next summer. And I if I don't really see anybody else, other other reasonable candidates, obvious candidates. Um, you think Mark Cuban's gonna trade Luka Doncic to the Knicks with two years left on two
2: two guaranteed two guaranteed years left on his deal? I I wouldn't be holding my breath for that one. Um
1: think Leon Rose is gonna wait around for the Kevin Durant Bradley Beal era in Phoenix to to start showing signs of fatigue and wait out a Devin Booker, uh trade request, got news for you. He ain't that patient. Uh, and he doesn't have that luxury, um, which is a separate issue altogether. But like he's kicked the, again, I'm going to say it. He, he's kicked the can down the road about as long as he can. Um, You know, and then obviously there is the, The doomsday scenario of what if things go great in Philadelphia this year and Joel Embiid you know has no interest in asking out obviously they're not going to trade him then what well then then we're going to have some dicier conversations right because then it's like all right well is Donovan Mitchell suddenly the fallback plan right Um, I don't know I don't know but I do know what they're counting on and what they're counting on at this point it seems blatantly obvious to me and it should be blatantly obvious to anyone listening um is that things continue to go awry in Philadelphia. Uh so if you really want to I mean when it comes down to brass tacks, what is this next season about? It's about how the Sixers do.
2: <laughs> um that may seem a little a little curt, but uh as far as I could see, uh any, what goes on down
1: there is every bit as important as what goes on here. Now, of course, again, I fully know that I don't know what percentage, 20, 30, 40, 50% of the people listening to this right now probably want no intru- no, 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 part of Joel Embiid. Well, sometimes beggars can't be choosers. And um, when you put all of your eggs in one basket, which, again, I don't have to go through the the things again. All the eggs are in the trade for a star basket. All the eggs have always been in this tra- the trade for a star basket. Not any other basket. So um, he seems to be the guy that is by far most likely at this point. Um, we'll we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition. So there it is. Another year. Uh, excited to get started. Uh, again, in case you were zoning out at the beginning of the episode, 7 p.m. Tonight, Be There, B Square, Nick's Film School U- YouTube channel. And of course, um, the... Uh, if you aren't able to join us live at 7pm the podcast version of that will be up tomorrow uh, that's it thanks for hanging out with me and spending some time on this uh, on this fantastic Monday in the beginning of October I uh, hope everybody has a good start to your week and we will be back with you very soon peace out